Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. Before we jump into today's uh, topic, unfinished business from yesterday. You recall we uh, featured an interview with. Um, uh, Congressman Curtis, Congressman John Curtis, representing Utah's 3rd District. He's the chair of the Conservative Climate Caucus. And uh, so uh, responding to that conversation, here's uh, an email from Jack Green in Smithfield. Jack says, as always, thanks for the excellent interview, Tom. I'm deeply appreciative for the leadership U.S. Congressman John Curtis provides for the Conservation Climate Caucus. He has persuaded the other three Utah congressmen to join the caucus as well. The conversations it has generated and the bipartisanship which has resulted is admirable. My question for the caucus, how do I assuage the extreme angst and anxiety my students are experiencing for their future as they witness a burning and melting planet? The enormous social, political, and economic costs that will only accelerate in their future lives are monumental. Conservative, quote-unquote, gives them pause. How can our actions be, quote-unquote, conservative as they watch the greatest crisis humanity has faced in its long history unfold? Please continue your bipartisan search for solutions at an accelerated pace to match that of our accelerated warming. Respectfully, Jack Green from Smithfield. Thanks for that, Jack, and you can continue that conversation from yesterday as well. Uh, to our email, upraccess at gmail.com. We'd love to know what you think, upraccess at gmail.com. Well, today on Access Utah, we are doing another nonprofit spotlight. There are many needs in our communities, and many step up to help, probably you included. We'd love to shine a light on your favorite nonprofit or individual doing good in your community. And for the hour, we're joined by Amy Anderson, Director of Outreach for Sunshine Terrace Foundation, Spiritual Counselor with Sunshine Hospice in Logan. She's uh, joining us, uh, as always, on these programs. Thanks for joining us. You're so welcome, Tom. It's always so great to be here and able to share the things that I know are happening in our community and recognize those other organizations that, as you said, do so much good for all of us. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, here's how you can reach us, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, or you could call us, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. And we have in studio as well, Shannon Erickson, who's Coordinator of Learning and Engagement at Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. So we're going to talk about an exciting project that will be coming up as well. Um, so, but, but let's uh, put that off for about five minutes. Um, I want to uh, immediately here get in a couple of emails from Hillary Shugart to give her uh, pride of privilege because she emailed us yesterday. She is always on the ball when we yeah, have this is. program to she let is. us know what's going on. She is. Uh, she's with the Bridgeland Audubon Society. So let me start there. Uh, she says the Bridgeland Audubon Society mission is protecting the nature of Utah for people and wildlife. Online resources include Bird, Beaver, and Water Activity page with free access to downloadable coloring pages. A free colorful poster highlights the ecosystem services of the beaver, including water storage and wetland habitat creation. Beaver dams improve water quality and drought resilience while also mitigating erosion, floods, and fire, all essential in a rapidly changing climate. So she says, click on the beaver image at bridgelandaudubon.org. That's bridgelandaudubon.org. And uh, she spells it out. It's good to do that. Bridgelandaudubon.org. 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 
So encouraging you to check out and support Bridgeland Audubon Society. Uh, then another email from uh, Hillary. She says, the Wilson Neighborhood Council invites all Logan residents to look up the City of Logan's Neighborhood Council a contact information page by visiting loganutah.org and selecting the Community Development Department, then Neighborhoods, where there's a map showing six neighborhoods based on elementary schools, Adams, Bridger, Ellis, Hillcrest, Wilson, and Woodruff. If you live in the southeast quadrant between Main Street and Dry Canyon, be sure to sign up for the Wilson Neighborhood Council newsletter to learn about the Spring Free Tree Giveaway. Spring Free Tree Giveaway. So go to loganutah.org, select Community Development Department, then Neighborhoods to show your neighborhoods. I imagine you have a special interest in this, uh, Amy I do, Anderson. I do. I think that's one of the great things that um, Logan City has really reinvigorated over the last couple of years is the neighborhood councils, and um, Wilson's is incredibly active, and I hope that people will pay attention to where they live in Logan and find out more. You can always contact Logan City Hall, um, that falls underneath the mayor's office, and talk to Teresa Harris to get information on how to get connected with your local neighborhood council. All right. Um, so, again, the, the Neighborhood Councils and Bridgeland Audubon Society. That's from uh, Hillary. Um, so, again, upraccess uh, at gmail.com. Upraccess at gmail.com is the way to email us. Upraccess at gmail.com. Or you can call us, 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495. Your chance to take uh, two or three minutes and uh, just plug away your favorite uh, organization or individual. Uh, and we hope you'll do so. We, we want to really encourage all the good that's being done in our neighborhoods. Well, let's uh, turn to this uh, project that's uh, going to be coming up. Uh, Shannon Erickson, again, Coordinator of Learning and Engagement with Nora Heckles Harrison Museum of Art. Uh, what's going to be happening here? Oh, it's so exciting. We've got a creative aging grant that we have collaborated with Sunshine Terrace with. What this is, is it's uh, from the Division of Utah Arts and Museums. They have create they have collaborated um, with a nationwide project, and this project is through Lifetime Arts. And what they do is they bring art making opportunities to older adults. And we have targeted uh, Sunshine Terrace population, the assisted living center, as well as we're targeting those who care for people in their home called caregivers. These people are often isolated. It's a 24-7 job. There's no breaks. There's no time off. And these people that are caregivers often uh, experience a lot of social isolation, feelings of overwhelm because it's such a, a magnificent and wonderful but taxing job. And so this uh, opportunity is an art-making experience, and we're offering classes to these caregivers, um, primarily uh, older adults, who could use some social as well as creative experiences. Um, The purpose of a creative experience is to uh, remember that we're always learning. We're always growing. We always have opportunities, no matter what your age and and this is just a fantastic way to let your creative creative juices flow, learn new skills. We're always learning too. We we don't stop learning. That's a myth that uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That is completely <laughs> false. So, 
super excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Well, it's good news to me. You can teach an old dog new tricks, right? Yeah, I think one of the things um, in going through the training with with learning with lifetime arts, I think that I found really fascinating is that older adults who both created and attended arts um, kinds of events, their cognitive functioning scores were seven times higher than for adults who didn't. So as Shannon you know, pointed out, caregivers often feel isolated. They feel overwhelmed. This is something that not just allows them to use their creative juices, but it helps increase their own cognitive um, abilities, as well as it lowers blood pressure and things like that. So I don't think we always think about the fact that the arts have this benefit besides just beauty, but the arts really can have participating in the arts, creating can have a, actually a holistic effect on our bodies. So we're really hoping that caregivers um, can find a way to come to this class. One of the questions I often have gotten in this is, oh, well, I'm not artsy. I can't draw. I can't do this. I can't do that. People who attend this don't need to be an artist. The whole point is just engaging a different part of your brain, the socialization. So um, as you learn more about this, please keep that in mind. You don't have to have artistic skills. You don't have to be Shannon. You don't have to be a skilled and talented <laughs> artist. It's for everybody to come and just, you know, see a new part of yourself. Yeah. The good news, too, is I'm not teaching this class. Uh, we have uh, we're, we're working with John Weston Scow. He's a lifetime citizen of Logan, and he taught uh, for t 36 years at Mount Logan Middle School. He's a very seasoned teacher, but he has taken a beginning artist to an advanced artist, and he can work with you on your skill level. If you've never picked up a paintbrush, he will teach you how to hold it how to move paint, and it's such an exciting experience to just push around paint on a canvas is one of the most rewarding, happy things you can do. Or if you're an advanced artist, he has the skills to take you to the next level. So it doesn't really matter skill level. The point is this creative opportunity, and it fits in with Nima's mission of enriching lives and improving your well-being helping you learn new skills, and encouraging respect for differences. So we really encourage people to consider this. It's scary sometimes to try something new, but it is so rewarding, so rewarding to, to take that leap of faith. And John Weston Scow, the teacher of this class, will take you there. He is a very skilled teacher. So uh, how do people get connected they call Shannon. Okay. <laughs> yes, right. call me. So my number at the art museum is 435-797-0182. And most of the time, because I am an educator, I'm not at my desk. So please leave a message. The number is 435-797-0182. And the class is going to be held every Wednesday during March and April. Um, it starts at 1 p.m. in the afternoon and runs until 2.30, and we're holding it at The Works, which is the outpatient um, therapy building on Sunshine Terrace's campus. The physical address is 209 West, 300 North, um, and that's where, that's where people will come. The materials are provided um, in part by the grant, but we do want people to feel committed, so we are asking people to contribute $25 towards the course. Uh, part of this whole Lifetime Arts Grant is to also allow artists 
to be compensated for their time. I think so many times we expect people maybe to just give out of the generosity of their heart, but we want to recognize that these are talented individuals with lots of experience. So the the grant helps to cover some of the cost of the supplies um, for John's time. But again, we are asking for that nominal $25 um, commitment fee. If people do have difficulty, though, with that, please, please give us a call. You can either talk to Shannon or you can call me. My number is 435-754-0233, and we will find a way to cover that expense for you. Yeah, it sounds exciting. Um, so, so, Amy, um, this is uh, designed to be uh, respite, right, for, for caregivers, at least in, in part, right? Uh, are, are there programs out there can work in caregivers' turn, I guess, if you can't turn to family or something? I, I would encourage people, first and foremost, maybe to tr- turn to family or to neighbors. There are organizations that do provide paid respite um, at this point in time. Um, Sunshine Cares is one that um, exists, as well as other agencies. So if people are struggling with trying to find that, they again, just give me a call, and we'll see what we can work out for them to, to make this an opportunity for them. Absolutely. Uh, one of the other pieces of this, um, Shannon mentioned, we we also have a grant that is covering the cost of this program for our residents of Terrace Grove, which is our assisted living. And as opposed to John and his painting class, we're bringing in an artist. Her name is Dana Worley, and she's going to be doing a glass art project. Mm. It actually starts today um, for our residents. I'm super excited um, that they get that opportunity. And she's going to be talking them through you know, just the history of art and glass. And each week people are going to be have that opportunity to create something. Um, one thing Shannon didn't mention is that there's going to be a final culminating event for both of those programs together at NEMA. Why don't you talk a little bit yeah. about that, Shannon? Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is underutilized is the art museum. So the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art is a community resource. It's free to the public. There Uh, There are often events there, but what we're going to do with Sunshine Terrace is bring all of these new artists, as as well as Dana and John, the artists, teaching artists, and we're going to have a display of everybody's progress as well as the finished product from these classes. So it's going to be a culminating culminating event at NEMA. And NEMA does that all the time. We host a lot of groups in the community. We celebrate. We help people fundraise. But most of all, we just love it when people come and begin a dialogue about the things that are important to Utah. So I I encourage you to come to the museum at any time. Um, It's free, free for families. We also have a family art day every second Saturday um, and so it's just a fun place, but this event will be just a highlight because these new artists, I, hopefully we get some new artists and maybe some seasoned artists as well, will get to show off, have that moment of exhibition in a museum space, and um, we will celebrate what we have accomplished through this project. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, Yeah, it should be. Hopefully we'll see you at it, Tom. Yeah, yeah, It would be really fun. One of the other pieces of this is um, Maria Ellen Huberner, who is a photographer, is going to be coming and taking photographs during the course of both classes. Um, So as Shannon said, at that culminating event, people will be actually able to experience what they they experienced. Um, So she's going to be bringing 
some of her photography students that she teaches through the Cache Valley Center for the Arts to um, take photographs. So it kind of helps them learn how to be better artists as they watch these older adults get to have that creative experience. So trying to tie the whole community together in this and just, again, super excited that our state recognizes the importance of creating opportunities like this for older adults um, through the, the uh, what is it again? The arts and arts and museums, and then Utah Division of Arts, arts and, and Museums, museums. Yeah. and Lifetime Arts. Those are the two sponsors for this project, as well as your organization, Sunshine Terrace and NEMA, Nora Eccles Harrison Museum. Museum of Art. So <laughs> that's you, a mouthful. It sometimes. is. It is. So if you if you don't live in Cache Valley. Um, and you live in other parts of the listening audience, I would encourage you to go to the website and look and see because there are projects all throughout the state. Um, NEMA and Sunshine Terrace are just two of the many organizations that completed this training and created programs and projects. So they're going to be throughout the state. Um, most of them are starting now and, and run through June. So if you're listening and you're in other parts of Utah, please go and, and try to identify what might what opportunities might exist for older adults in your community as well. Excellent. Um, I just want to put in a plug here for uh, project UPR has going on with Maria Ellen Hubner. That's 15 things Utahns can't live without in a pandemic. And uh, you're hearing on air some the results that so we put out the word and had people come in and record and they're talking about 15 things they can't live without in a, in a pandemic. So uh, that's ongoing at uh, UPR. You can find more about that at uh, upr.org, upr.org. Uh, just before we go to a break, Amy, I wanted to ask again about caregivers. Uh, and, um, you know, as you mentioned, Shannon, some people are just 24-7 caring for their loved ones. Um, I imagine the, the, the pandemic's hit those folks hard. Maybe can't get respite in. Um, I wonder how folks are, are doing. And hopefully, with the pandemic opening back up a little bit, you can get some respite. Yeah, and it is. It ha- I think it really has been a challenge because just being a caregiver in general can be very isolating when people felt like they had to keep their loved ones safe. Um, and maybe restricted visitors themselves or felt like they weren't comfortable going out in public. It has been very isolating. Um, One of the things that we are still continuing to do at Sunshine Terrace is the education programs that we do for caregivers. We're actually wrapping up our Dementia Dialogues class today. That's a four-week class that we run quarterly. So if people are interested in, in participating in that to give them the tools to be a better caregiver, Um, tools to help them accept and understand what a dementia diagnosis means and what the causes might be. We will probably be reprising that again either in April or May of this year. And again, people can always give me a call if they'd like to find out when that's happening. My number is 754-0233. I don't remember which number (laughs) to give out. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we've you know, we encourage people to just to continue to be as independent as possible. I think one of the things caregivers should always kind of plug into is, you know, places like our, the works, we have exercise equipment that's specifically created for older adults. As long as the person you're caregiving for is able, come and work out together. Um, it gives you that break. It gives you that ability to um increase your strength. And it also gives the person that you're caring for an opportunity to get rid of some of their excess energy. Um, Just because somebody's cognitive 
capability is diminished doesn't mean that physically they don't need to do things. So again, please give me a call. We can kind of brainstorm maybe some ideas that might work for you as a caregiver. Uh, we also have a caregiver support group that meets every Tuesday at one o'clock. Um, again, at the works that we partner with Bragg's Area Agency on Aging. And it's a place where people can come and feel safe and know that the conversations they're having are confidential as they talk about the joys and the stressors of being a caregiver. Those are important, too, to ensure that caregivers don't feel isolated. Knowing you're not alone in that journey can be incredibly helpful. Yeah. And uh, if, if you're listening, uh, you know, outside Cash Valley, I imagine you, county government would be a, a place to go. Where, where can you go? Yeah, the so the area agencies on aging are throughout the state. The one here in Cash County is underneath the Bear River Association of Governments, but we call them the triple A's. They exist throughout the state. So you can just, um, I'm sure you can just Google Area Agency on Aging. It'll ask for your location, and that can give you the opportunity to to find where that is. But they do offer um, resources like that. There are some funds available for short-term respite support through the Area Agencies on Aging across the state. Um, So, yeah, I encourage people to reach out to that, as well as organizations like the Alzheimer's Association. They have great resources on their webpage. They have a 24-hour warm line where people can call with questions or concerns um, to get answers immediately. Okay, I'll alert you in studio to put your headphones on because we have a call. Uh, Again, you can call 800-826-1495, We have a call from uh, Leslie Black uh, in Logan. Um, to, uh, wants to talk about Cash Valley Threshold Singers. Uh, welcome, Leslie. Thank you very much. Um, I'm delighted to just have a, a minute to let the community know that caregivers, as well as those people who may be suffering with a serious illness or a crisis in their life or be at a life threshold, can have the music from the Cash Valley Threshold Singers. Um, it's beautiful spiritual music that is uh, specifically communicates love and gratitude, compassion, grace, comfort, and peace when times are very difficult. So when invited, we can come and sing at bedsides. Uh, there are certain restrictions with COVID at certain facilities. Um, but when, when invited, we can come and sing at a bedside. We're all fully vaccinated and we're masking. Uh, we sing a cappella, uh, about three to five uh, people for about 20 minutes. We are not religiously affiliated with any uh, particular faith, but it is very spiritual music, um, and it fits and honors most spiritual paths. These are just soothing songs with simple melodies and rich harmonies, and it really has a calm presence and ease. So what we offer is an opportunity for people to go to our website, Cash Valley Threshold Singers, at gmail.com, and because there's been uh, restrictions with COVID, we recorded many of our songs, and they are available for public to use. So we would, caregivers as well as people who are um, seriously ill or confined or lonely, this music is just so full of grace and harmony and lovely intention. So it's Cash Valley Threshold Singers at gmail.com. And we will send you the download for music uh, that can be shared with your family or with a loved one or just for yourself. 
Oh, it's a wonderful service. And and so you're you're um I guess with some restrictions you're back to performing uh, bedside, I guess uh, in certain Some people some people yeah. will uh, it's up to the facilities whether and the families. Mm-hmm. Uh we never do this unless we are invited to the bedside and and it you know we we ask if it's okay if we come. But I just want people to know that we're out there that we offer this service. We are called Cash Valley Threshold Singers and we're a local chapter of a larger um, international threshold choir. Mm-hmm. And the songs are all composed by women who um, who have been a part of threshold choirs. So it's just beautiful music. It's very comforting. And um, we just want to offer it out there in our community. So I've had the opportunity to, to actually hear Leslie herself sing bedside for, for one of my hospice patients. And and she's absolutely correct. It's very peaceful. It's beautiful. It's a, it's an affirming experience. So I would encourage you um, to, to email them. Leslie, are you looking for additional singers or just for opportunities to sing? Um, we are happy to welcome singers to visit us uh, at our Zoom rehearsals. I think we're going to be starting our in-person re- rehearsals fairly soon. And yes, we would be happy to have new members come who they have to be able to sing their you know, blend their voices and hold their part in harmony and to be able to sing softly because we really want to communicate kindness. It's a certain level of voice that we look for. Um, And they don't have to read music. We do a lot of singing by listening to the music and listening to each other. So, yes, uh, we would be happy to have people um, who are interested to come and visit our rehearsal and see if it's a good fit for them. So, Leslie, I've, I've talked to you a couple times about, about this and appreciate you uh, alerting us to this. I'm wondering, uh, you know, you don't have to answer, but I, I'm curious, what, was there a particular experience got you into this? Or, or? Yes, um, I've been at the bedside of uh, four people who were I deeply love, my, my parents mostly, and my father, especially at his bedside. Uh, it was the day I knew he was dying, and um, I was singing to him. We had just performed some John Rutter music with American Festival Chorus, and I was singing to him the Celtic Blessing and a couple of those. And I thought he was unconscious, but he heard me. And he opened his eyes, and he tried to sit up, and he raised his arms and pulled that sound into his heart, just repeatedly pulled his hands into his chest. And I thought, what a lesson this is. I want to do this. I want to offer this to people who are so at a threshold of life, whether it's a crisis or whether it's an illness. Mm. And it was my father who inspired me to do this. Oh, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, what a, what a wonderful service uh, you guys provide. Uh, tell us again the contact point. It's Cash Valley Threshold Singers at gmail.com. And we would love to be of service, so I do hope people will, um, we can send them something, um, and if if, uh, if restrictions are listed, lifted, we are happy to participate in singing in person. So I know we're waiting for that moment. We all are waiting for that moment, yeah, aren't we? For sure, for sure. Well, <laughs> thank you so much you be, for You bet. Thank you. This. Thank you. Leslie Black mm-hmm. from the Cash Valley thank Threshold you. Singers has been with us. You can call as well, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Uh, well, we better take a break. We're overdue for a break, so let's uh, do that. Uh, later in this hour, uh, we're going to be hearing from the uh, Cash Valley uh, Humanitarian Center. 
which I understand is new. It is, is that, new. yeah. Uh, so we'll be hearing from a representative uh, there. And hope to hear from you as well by email to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, or uh, by our toll-free number, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Uh, take a minute to shine a spotlight on your favorite nonprofit or individual doing good in your community. More following this. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from listeners like you and the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, presenting Symphony Concertant, OP81, Joseph Youngen and Requiem OP9, Murray's Duraflay du with guest organist Bradley Welch, Saturday, March 19th at 7.30 p.m. in the USU Danes Concert Hall. Details at AmericanFestivalChorus.org. This is Science by the Slice. Driving across the arid American Southwest, one views miles upon miles of scrubby creosote brushes, known as chaparral. The evergreen shrub produces tufts of fluffy white fruit capsules. Living among these plants are similarly fluffy white wasps, difficult to distinguish from the fruit known as the thistle-down velvet ants. USU biologist Joe Wilson says it's easy to assume the wasp's frosty coloring evolved as a camouflage, but that's not the case. Instead, he says it's likely the insect's pale color which helps keep the wasp cool as an adaptation to the hot desert climate. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in the sciences and mathematics. Details at usu.edu science. Thank you to everyone who submitted designs to our annual UPR Art Mug Contest. We had awesome work come in from all over Utah. Submissions have closed now, and you have until March 1st to vote for your favorite design. It's your vote that will determine the winner, and their design will be printed on this year's UPR mug, available during our spring member drive. So what would you like to see on your mug? Tell us by going to upr.org and casting your vote by noon on March 1st. Thanks for joining us for Access U Time. Tom Williams. We're doing a nonprofit spotlight. We do this about quarterly, and it's a chance for you to just plug away. Uh, plug away to your favorite nonprofit or individual doing good in uh, your community. We want to encourage uh, this good that's being done, and uh, just give us the details and the contact and encourage folks to help out uh, where perhaps you're helping out. Uh, we uh, So the contact points, you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, or you can uh, call us, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. We have with us Amy Anderson, Director of Outreach for Sunshine Terrace Foundation and Spiritual Counselor with Sunshine Hospice in Logan. And uh, we're also joined in the studio by Shannon Erickson, Coordinator of Learning and Engagement at Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art. Uh, so again, 800-826-1495. Love to hear from you or upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, I believe we do have uh, calls uh, coming in here. Uh, so who's up uh, first here? So, uh, my producer is uh, emailing me uh, the details here. Um, let's see. We have... Um, Dwight Whitaker on with us from the Cache Valley Humanitarian Center. Uh, Dwight Whitaker, thanks for joining us. 
You bet. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Doing well, doing well. I hope you're doing well as well. Didn't get blown away last night, so yeah. that's a good step. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, right. we're still here. Uh, so tell us about the Cache Valley Humanitarian Center. Well, thank you for the opportunity. We appreciate it. Uh, the Cache Valley Humanitarian Center is uh, new to, to Cache Valley. We've only been in existence um, since about July of last year. And uh, just recently received our IRS official letter of determination. So we are now a legitimately recognized 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Um, our mission is uh, to identify unmet needs of area residents and strive as best we can to meet those needs through networking, collaborating, and coordinating with other nonprofits and school districts. And then when they've identified some specific needs, then we try to identify resources and uh, assemble whatever they might need uh, and then distribute to them so they can uh, give in turn those items to the individuals that they're working with. And our efforts, of course, are for uh, low-income, uh, families who are in need, homeless, uh, uh, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, so far, um, uh, since uh, July of, of uh, last year, we've been able to provide uh, 360 um, school backpacks uh, full of over 7,000 different items um, and uh, 1,244 uh, individual hygiene kits, uh, 150 therapy bags, uh, rice bags uh, that were sewn together and filled with rice so that people could... Um, I use those for uh, their aching parts and bodies. Um, and uh, most recently, we uh, were able to conduct uh, in December a coat and quilt drive that produced well over 2,000 different items for those who might need some help in uh, winter clothing. And uh, right now, we're on a project to, um, as a request from uh, some of our uh, community partners, uh, specifically some uh, feminine hygiene kits. And we have uh, uh, orders for about 300 of those right now that we're currently working on putting together. So we've been fairly busy, and uh, for the great support of uh, Cash Valley, we're very appreciative, and thanks for the opportunity to talk a little bit about our organization. So, Dwight, I, I understand that the Rotary Club was instrumental in helping you get started here in Cache Valley. That is correct. The, uh, in January of last year, the uh, statewide district Rotary um, clubs uh, wanted to try to help uh, develop more community service opportunities for Rotarians and also community citizens. And so that was the... Um, spark that kind of got us uh, going together and so the um, Cache Valley uh, Morning Club, uh, Rotary Morning Club and the Logan uh, Rotary Club got together and decided to submit a grant um, and we received $2,000 to help with startup costs and uh, also the Logan Rotary uh, Foundation um, gave us about um, uh, 5500 to help start uh, assembling these backpacks and hygiene kits. And um, the um, 
uh, Walmart Corporation uh, also provided uh, $2,500 to help get things started. And then we've received the individual uh, and private uh, contributions as well. But, yeah, the, the genesis of all this was the, uh, the Rotary Clubs of, uh, of uh, Logan and uh, statewide Rotary as well. Well, it's wonderful. It sounds like you're doing a lot of uh, great work. Uh, so how best to contact you to help? Well, um, <clears throat> people can uh, give us a call at um, 208-206-3270. Um, <clears throat> we have our, um, <clears throat> excuse me, our website is up and running now, and that's uh, Cash Valley Humanitarian Center.com. Um, and, um, so that's, those are probably the two best ways to get a hold of us and check out what we're doing and, and, um, our goals for, um, for the future. We just hope to continue meeting needs that are unmet within uh, our, our Cash Valley area. All right, Cash Valley Humanitarian Center.com. Cash Valley Humanitarian Center.com is the, is the website. Well, we've been talk, talking with Dwight Whitaker from the Cash Valley Humanitarian Center. Thank you so much. You're surely welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we have uh, on the line um, next Michelle, uh, who's going to tell us about uh, loaves and fishes. Uh, so, Michelle, uh, thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you today? Do- doing well, doing well. So, for those who don't know, tell us about what loaves and fishes is. Yeah, so the Loaves and Fishes Community Meal, we are a uh, free twice-monthly meal, and we are committed to serving Cache Valley and its residents with a mission of bringing our diverse community together around a common table to provide a meal that not only feeds people, but also strengthens our community through building relationships, service, and fellowship. So we have meals on the first and third Saturdays of every month, and we serve the meals from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m., and we're located at the First Presbyterian Church in Logan on 200 West Center Street. All the meals are free, and all are welcome to come. Um, we invite everyone to, um, if you haven't been to a meal, to please come, even if it's not just volunteering. If you want to see what we're all about, just come and bring your family and have a meal with us. We try to post our menu on our Facebook page the week leading up to our meal, and currently we are serving around 300 meals per um, meal, so that's about 600 a month, and that's a huge jump over our pandemic months. Um, We recently had UPR volunteers serve at our January 19th meal. Yeah. Yeah. That was a blast. We, uh, boy, we're busy, busy all morning. Giving out meals. That was that was fun. So people can yeah, uh, people organizations can can sign up and come volunteer. I believe they can, and we actually have a need right now for some of our summer meals to be filled. So if you're looking to volunteer as an individual or as a group, and even a small group like UPR, you know we can pair you with other groups or with additional volunteers if you need it. Um, you can um, go to our website, which is Loaves and Fishes Community Meal. Oh, I'm sorry. Our website is loganloavesandfishes.org, or you can email us at loavesandfishescommunitymeal at gmail.com. 
Um, on our website, you can sign up to either be a volunteer. You can inquire um, for what meals we have available that still need help. We also have, uh, you can make donations through there. So we have ongoing monthly expenses. So you could do something with that if you're not able to attend in person. Um, and then we're also looking for some community members to be a part of our board and some subcommittee positions that have come up. So, All right. Very good. Loaves and Fishes. And Logan, tell us again the contact point or points. So our website is loganloavesandfishes.org. We also have a Facebook page, Lo- Loaves and Fishes Community Meal. Or you can email us at loavesandfishescommunitymeal at gmail.com. And just a reminder, the meals are offered every first and third Saturday from 1130 to 1. And if it, I think Michelle made a great point. We always, when I was involved with this, our whole point was you can, the best way to volunteer is actually just show up and eat with people. It's amazing how hard it is sometimes for our volunteer groups to recognize that the effort of building community by just sitting down with someone you don't know who might have a different language or, you know, be in a different socioeconomic status or just even living in a different city helps us build that sense of community that's already strong here in Cache Valley, but can always be made stronger. Wonderful. Yeah. And we get a diverse group of people that come through and we are really appreciated for them and also for people that come and serve and donate to our cause. So yes, come and have a meal. All are welcome. Well, Michelle from Lowe's and Fishes has been on the line with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. We'll just have uh, about uh, six minutes left in the program. It always uh, rushes by. Um, So I I wanted to get this in before we close. And again, you can get in a quick call or email 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We got word from uh, Utah Food Bank that they've canceled their Feed Utah Drive for 2022. It's it's kind of a surprising... um, it, it is COVID, but it's uh, manifests in a different way. Let me just read this. Due to the transportation industry staffing shortages and logistical challenges impacting the entire country and our state, Utah Food Bank and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have made the difficult decision to cancel the 2022 Feed Utah Food Drive. Utah Food Bank is incredibly appreciative of the support they receive from across the state, as are the 410,000 Utahns facing hunger whom they serve. We invite you to look for another opportunity to support them or your local food pantry with donations of either food, time, or money at any time of the year. So that's a surprising reason for the cancellation, but we've been hearing about uh, you know, supply shortages and transportation shortages, and for that reason, they've canceled their uh, the feed uh, Utah drive for uh, f- for this year. Uh, but you can uh, certainly go to utahfoodbank.org, and uh, on the top, they give food, give time, give money. You can certainly give any one of the or all three to the Utah Food Bank. So utahfoodbank.org, utahfoodbank.org. Uh, you don't have to have the drive to to participate and give. Uh, put in a plug for the Cash Food Pantry. They do great work so uh, in, in Cash Valley. So cashfoodpantry.com will give you the contact points uh, there. Amy, anything else you'd like to say on the on food? Oh my gosh, um, it's it's sort of related. But can I can I say something about our yeah. local Bear River local homeless council? Definitely. Um, I know that 
UPR featured the fact that the point in time count of homeless was conducted back in January. Um, and just a, an update on that, the, the Bear River LHC does bring partners together to help address the causes and the conditions of homelessness here in our valley and is constantly looking for collaborative solutions to help strengthen those services. Um, based on that point in time, that kind of drives some of the funding that we are able to get up here um, in Cache Valley. And, you know, typically the the big point of contact is is BRAG, is the homeless services at BRAG. Um, but right now, because of the needs that have ex- been experienced, they've actually run out of funding for the hotel voucher program that a lot of people can use for that emergency housing since we do not have a shelter up here. So right now, there's two organizations that have been really helping to fill the need for that, um, for Helping Hearts and Families Feeding Families are the organizations right now that are, are working on fundraising to provide that emergency shelter for individuals. Um, as a council, we're looking right now at brainstorming ways to perhaps create a temporary warming center here. Uh, obviously, may not get going this year, but looking for next year. Um, so if people are looking and listening and wondering how they can help, they could go to the our, our, the website, brlhcc.org. They can follow the Bear River Local Homeless Council on Facebook. They can support those local organizations of Family Feedings Families and For Helping Hearts by joining their Facebook groups, volunteering, donating through Venmo. If you're a landlord or a property manager, you know, please connect with um, with us as well at bearriverlhcc at gmail.com to find out how you can work with homeless service providers to help get clients housed. Obviously, I think everyone's pretty aware that there's quite a housing shortage here in Cache Valley, which certainly impacts people that are at, on the verge of homelessness even more. So um, again, just Please reach out, um, Nicole Bernard, who is the secretary for that organization. Um, if you email, can give you some more information on the best ways to help. But again, it's bearriverlhcc at gmail.com. All right, excellent. We just have about three minutes left. I want to get this in from uh, Jay Black. Uh, Jay is Rotary president, and he had an ad- uh, addendum to our discussion of Cache Valley Humanitarian Center. He says, we also have thousands of books to distribute. To schools, nonprofits, and other nonprofits, all kinds of books are available for all age levels. We have books on science, geography, art, art, history, public affairs, sports, and thousands of fiction books, including young adult fiction. So check us out, CashValleyHumanitarianCenter.com, CashValleyHumanitarianCenter.com. Thanks for that, Jay. And if you are a nonprofit, I would encourage you, um, don't forget that the Cash Valley Visitor Center has an amazing calendar of events. And and I think often we just think about the visitor center as people coming in um, from out of town. But if you post your events, people do go there to look, and maybe they'll make their travel plans to accommodate it. So that's at www.explorelogan.com. Julie Hollis Terrell, who is the director of the visitor center, welcomes submissions of events for not just for for-profit organizations, but for nonprofits, because that certainly helps support our tourism industry and our tax base here up in Cache Valley. So encourage you to check on that, as well as the Cache Interagency Council. If you are a nonprofit in the Valley and would like to collaborate with other groups, um, that organization meets on the fourth Monday of every month at noon. 
This month, they're meeting at the Logan City Environmental Building, and they're going to be having a presentation on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. If you're interested in learning more about that, contact their chair, who is Amanda Bevington-Drungle. She is the uh, program coordinator for the Center for Community Engagement up at Utah State. You can reach her at amanda.bevington at usu.edu, or her phone number is 440-409-6410. And again, welcome all nonprofits to come to that Cash Interagency Council meeting monthly to collaborate and, and network and learn what everybody else is doing so that we can work together, not separately. Excellent. I just have about 30 seconds left. Um, so Shannon Erickson, give us your contact information again and just tell us briefly what's going to be happening in the next two months. Sure. Thank you. Um, call me at 435-797-0182. Right now at the museum, the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art, we have our 40th anniversary. It's also the 40th anniversary of the Family Place. We've been collaborating a lot with them this year. Um, we held a fundraiser for them on Saturday with the Four String Quartet. And we like to house these nonprofits and, and have them celebrate with us and also, if we can, help them fundraise. Just because the museum is such a nice place. Um, we are always open every second Saturday for Community Art Day. It's a free art make art-making activity. We've had people as young as three up to in the late 80s. And so it's Community Art Day. We encourage you to come to this free event and celebrate with your family and and watch uh, people make art as well as experience the beauties of the museum. Very good. And then uh, coming up March and April, eight weeks for uh, Art for caregivers is yes. a form of respite. Yes, be and that is a collaboration with Sunshine Terrace. It's going to be a wonderful art-making opportunity for older adults. All right, very good. We've had with us in studio Shannon Erickson with the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, Tom. And Amy Anderson with uh, Sunshine Terrace Foundation. Thank you. Always great to be here with you, Tom, and I look forward to our next adventure. Let, let's mm-hmm. let's uh, plan that. Uh, and thanks for everyone who, to respond, for responding today. Thanks for listening today. It's the Beehive Archive on Utah Public Radio. I'm Megan Weiss. Utah's limited water supply needs to be closely monitored. But this is nothing new. In Utah settler communities, the local watermaster was a vital figure although not always the most popular one. Learn more after this. I'm Jody Graham, Director of Utah Humanities. Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by Utah Humanities with the generous support of the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation. We are proud to partner with community organizations to tell Utah stories and hope you will tune in each week for the Beehive Archive. Welcome to the Beehive Archive a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. Utah's irrigation system of canals, ditches, and dams, and reservoirs are essential to the state's agricultural economy, but the system has long relied on humans to actually regulate the water. Each county assigned a watermaster to allocate and monitor individual water use to ensure fair access to the state's limited water supply. The watermaster's job was challenging, and often made more difficult by the personalities of local farmers and their demands for increased water. The watermaster position began shortly after Mormon settlement in 1847. Communities initially looked to their church's leadership to serve in the role, 
often appointing the local bishop who made decisions based on appraisals of religious worthiness. In 1851, however, the new territorial legislature gave incorporated cities the authority to choose watermasters. The shift to this more democratic arrangement was slow, but by the 1870s, towns were forming irrigation districts and appointing the watermaster at community meetings. Work for the appointee included traveling between farms and irrigation canals. Each farm had its own headgate and measuring weir, which controlled the flow of water onto the farmer's land. Watermasters carried a large measuring stick, one side marked with the usual 12 inches per foot, and the other divided the foot into tenths and hundredths. This stick measured the flow and depth of the water, and was the watermaster's most important tool because it gauged necessary adjustments or repairs to the water supply. In theory, only the watermaster was authorized to adjust the flow of water through the headgate, but this was on the honor system. Despite clear regulations, many farmers spent hours and late nights attempting to get more than their fair share of the water. Opening the headgate a little wider, also known as midnight irrigating, was especially problematic during periods of drought. The position of watermaster was well respected, but their work was often thankless. In many cases, the job required reasoning with angry and desperate farmers to keep the peace. A human face was valuable to encourage fair regulation of water in ways which served both the individual and the community. Even today, watermasters guard this shared community resource and irrigation systems all over Utah. Find sources in past episodes of the Beehive Archive at utahumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive for Protection of Utah Humanities, I'm Megan Weiss. Support for science reporting on Utah Public Radio comes from our members and the Utah State University Ecology Center, providing training opportunities for today's science communicators one story at a time. Support also comes from utahumanities.org, improving communities through active engagement with the humanities. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR, Logan. KUSK, Vernal. KUSL, Richfield. KUST, Moab. KCEU, Price. KUSU, FM, Logan. Also heard at upr.org.